I'm Monty. This is the Marriage Bites Podcast. We get real about the joys and challenges of marriage through bites of wisdom we have learned over the years. Our aim is to share this wisdom with you so your marriage won't bite. Welcome to the Marriage Bites Podcast. Where things are things and other things are not. I'm not sure what that means. I don't either. It's the first thing that came to my head. (laughs) You'll find that I say some things, well, not some things, a lot of things that are spontaneous and mean nothing. Okay. That explains a lot. So this episode is going to be a little bit more off the cuff, a little bit less outlined, but we were having a conversation earlier today and we wanted to share that with you and kind of just share our thoughts Um, it's more like this is something that we are still exploring for ourselves and we don't necessarily know everything or have all the answers about, but I thought it was interesting and thought you might think it's interesting as well. And we haven't told you what we're talking about yet, but if you have some input on that, please let us know. We might end up doing a follow-up episode about it. Uh, because like we said, we're still kind of exploring this. Mm Mm-hmm. So earlier today, I had a conversation with a friend, a fellow coach, and at the end of it, I was really thinking a lot about my self-confidence. And I was thinking, how does a person develop self-confidence? And what do you think about that? How does a person develop more confidence in themselves? Well, I came up with several things. I first want to say that in my realm, with the work that I do, my, my career, is that Confidence can be built, but it also can be decided upon. But I think people who lack confidence, either they don't have it in the first place, or it's been somehow destroyed by supervisors or people who are in a leadership position. Sometimes they can destroy confidence. But I think to build confidence, like I said, I think from my point of view, I think it can be built over time. And I know there's some people who are naturally confident about things and have that natural self-confidence. But I think it can be built over time by making good decisions or bad decisions, but making decisions, practicing that uh, decision-making or decision-making skills, and then living with whatever the outcomes may be, whether it might be positive or negative, mm-hmm. and then taking responsibility for those decisions. Um, I think another way is to just make up your mind, decide I'm going to be confident. I know with, with my job as, as just a, a patrol officer, Sometimes it's a little hard to be confident in your decision-making because you know you're going to have a supervisor who is going to be looking at your reports. They're going to be analyzing what you did. And sometimes they come and tell you you made the wrong choice, which can damage that confidence. Well, kind of. But I kind of think that, though, there are people who the supervisor would come and say, you did this wrong. And I'd be like, okay, I'll fix it. Another another person would be like, oh my gosh, I did it wrong. I'm no good at this. What am I doing here? And it's not necessarily the supervisor's fault. It's not necessarily their feedback. Although sometimes people come down kind of hard, maybe harder than they need to, um, just in general. But it's not necessarily the feedback that's causing the response. It's their personal views on themselves. If they're, if they're sure. already believing, I'm not really good enough. I don't really belong to be here. And then somebody says something that sort of reinforces that, then they are the ones sort of causing that yeah. for themselves. I think that's I think that's true to a point too, but I do know that um, sometimes it's how that person comes forward. That's in my line of work, 
that supervisor comes forward or that person in authority comes forward and tells them if they are coming at it as you screwed up that I think that can destroy confidence but if they come toward that employee and are acting as a mentor and somebody who builds tries to build that person up and takes a different approach much more of a, a student teacher mm-hmm. type of approach I think that's where confidence can really be built. Well, I think that helps, but I do also still think that in the end, it's more about the person's self-concept. Because there are people who can come to somebody else and be sort of, you did it wrong, you you messed up. And the person is like, no, I didn't, I'm fine. I don't know what's wrong. Or like, yeah, I did my best <laughs> and it's fine. And they, you know what I mean? Like there are people who come down harshly on somebody and that person is still like, that's no big deal. I'm fine because they have confidence already. The person who is less confident already, when they receive, shall we say, negative feedback, then they're going to be go into that I'm not good enough thought process rather than being like, no, it's fine. Or well, I think, fine, I'll fix it. I, I agree that there's people who have, people have varying degrees of confidence or mm-hmm. self-confidence. And the people who have confidence in themselves and their decisions and, I guess I'm not necessarily speaking towards them. I'm speaking more toward those who have less confidence. At least, I mean, you might be a confident uh, chef, but maybe you're not so confident feeling when it comes to making decisions about police work. And so, yeah, I know there's, I mean, people run the, run the spectrum of confidence levels. I do know from myself that when I was a patrol officer, I had less confidence in myself and my decision making. Mm-hmm. And part of that was fear of being judged for the decisions that I made. Mm-hmm. And so I would go to my supervisors and ask questions and ask them if my decision was correct or not uh, a lot more. However, when I became a supervisor, I realized that I could not rely on my supervisors as much because now I was one. Mm-hmm. I had to be the one who had to be confident. I had to be the one to make decisions. Um, and so... I decided that I was just going to be confident. I had to make the decision to just be confident. And with that, I had to also show courage. Because if I'm going to be confident and make a decision on something and believe that I am right in that decision, it took courage because I know other people were still going to judge that decision. And it it takes courage. Mm -hmm. It's not easy. And even today, I know I make decisions and... In the back of my head, I'm thinking somebody's going to be looking at this. Are they going to judge me for it? Are they going to say I made the wrong decision? But with the information I have right now, I'm making the best decision. I know how with the information I have, I'm going to stick with this decision. Mm-hmm. I've noticed that I second guess myself a lot more than you do. I'm not totally sure why that is. I don't know if it comes from just our personalities that we were born with. I don't know if it comes from sort of our upbringing and the way we were raised. Um, I'm not totally sure why some people totally second guess themselves and other people are like, nope, the decision's made, we're moving on. I think so- part of that is personality. I think I think yeah, personality and who you are has a lot to play in it because you're right. Some people are more confident than others. And I feel like some people are born that way. Mm-hmm. 
And was I just not born that way? That doesn't mean that I can't become more confident. It doesn't mean that I can't practice confidence, do things that build my own confidence. I've been to a lot of leadership training. And one thing that the scholarly people who study and teach leadership is they they talk about how people are in a different place. Like they're all in different places when it comes to leadership skills. And one thing that, that they've, all pretty much concluded on is that anybody can be taught to be a good leader. And I think with confidence, I think is very similar. I think people can be taught, teach themselves to be confident. How you do that is, I guess, the big question. Mm-hmm. I think there's an element of practicing it. Mm-hmm. Like I just said, like practicing doing hard things or doing things that are scary to you. The more you do that, the more you are able to tell yourself, yes, I can do this. Even if I've never done it before, look at all these other things that I've done before. And that's how I feel about my law enforcement career. When I became a supervisor and I decided I'm going to be confident, it was scary for a a while. But now I've had a lot of practice making decisions and being confident and being able to back up my decisions with factual evidence that I feel much more confident about what I'm doing and why I'm doing things And so I agree that practice can help build that confidence. And how do you keep from second guessing yourself when you're saying, I made the decision and it's made? And then how do you stop from going back on it and being like, well, maybe I should change my mind? Mm -hmm. I think that's one of my main struggles is that I'll go through all the things and I'll do all the research or I'll do whatever I do to make a decision and I'll make the decision and then I'll go, oh, is that the right one? Maybe I should do the other thing instead. Well, I think there's something to be said about being to ch- being able to change your mind, especially when you receive a new set of facts. If you receive a new set of facts and you realize that your first decision that you were so confident about was wrong, it's okay to change. I think having a little bit of grace about your decision making is helpful too. If you expect to make the right decision and the perfect decision every time, I think that's a bit of a pipe dream. I think mm-hmm. that you need to realize that you are going to still make mistakes, even though you are confident about what you're doing or the decisions that you're making, realize that you will still make mistakes. But yes, then to be but, accountable but for a confident person will be like, oh, great, fine, I made a mistake, what's next? But a non-confident person will be like, oh my gosh, I made a mistake, I'm all the wrong things, I shouldn't have done that, I should have done this other thing instead. All of that self-doubt happens. It's not the decision that's causing the confidence it's what you're telling yourself after the decision. Is it self-judgment? Is that yes, what you're saying? I think so. I think there's a lot of self-judgment for myself when I'm in a place where I'm not very confident in something. I'm sort of like, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision. I did the wrong thing. So how do you stop that self-judgment? Because that seems to be the crux of it is somebody who's confident, they're like, yeah, I screwed up, but I'm going to move on. They don't give themselves time to, I mean, maybe they judge themselves for a few moments, but then they move on. But then there's people who, like you say, oh my gosh, I screwed up and, and they just they, they dwell upon it. How do you break that cycle to move on? There have been times when I made a decision, turned out to be quote unquote wrong. And by that, what I mean is it turned out to be if I knew what, then what I knew now, I would have made a different decision. Mm-hmm. And some there are times when I've been like, oh, well, I did the best I could, moving on. And then there are other times when I totally am like, shame storm over it i'm like oh my gosh I'm so the if worst. you had a if you had a client come to you and said that that i have a shame storm going on because i made a bad decision and now my confidence is shot how would you coach them 
I think what I would do first is talk to them about feeling the shame instead of trying to avoid it. Because we think, oh, if I had only made that other decision, I wouldn't be feeling shame right now, as if shame is super dangerous, as if shame itself is a problem. I would talk about shame and say, well, tell me about it. What does it feel like? What are you going through? Why is shame such a problem? Or is it? Maybe kind of unravel a little bit the idea that shame is completely intolerable. Because once you can tolerate, oh, you know what, I might make a decision. It might turn out that it wasn't the best decision. And then I might feel shame and I'll survive it. I feel like that's one way of not beating yourself up so much. That's what I do. Hmm. I, I don't let myself get beat up. I'm like, yeah, I made a, but I made do, a Are you feeling the shame and just yes. going along with it? Or are you like, no, that's fine, I'm good. No, I, I do feel the shame. Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example that has nothing to do with firearms. Um, really hard to do. <laughs> right. Um, and I'm not going to bring Star Trek into it because I'm not going to muddy or sully the reputation of Star Trek. Um, yes, I know I've made decisions that I thought I was really confident about. And when I realized I made the wrong decision, I was like, dang it, I made the wrong decision. Crapola. And I think that's natural to feel that way. But did not to dwell on it because then I thought, you know what? I made the best decision based on the information that I had. I can now see that it obviously mm. was not the right decision. I need to move on. I'm not going to allow myself to feel. I mean, I may still feel bad, but I'm not going to let that affect me in mm. my future decision making. Now that I have new information, I can see where I made the mistake. And now I can make the right choice or a different choice. Hmm. And sometimes I even have a hard time saying I made the best decision that I could given the information that I had. Because two things happen. Either I'm like, oh, I should have known or like, oh, I knew and I still chose the other thing and then I beat myself up or that. Or I, I have a hard time really truly believing I made the best decision that I could. And then I'm still, if it turns out not the best, I'm still like, I should have done it differently. I should have known. I think is what I go through right. is like, oh, I should have known. As a person who historically often does a lot of research before making a decision, if I'm like, I should have known because look at all this research I did. Look at how long I studied out this thing. I should have known is more the thought that goes through my mind rather than, well, I did the best I could at the time. So how would you coach somebody like that? Because I am not like that. I'm a little more impulsive and, and therefore <laughs> I don't, true. I don't dwell on the mistakes as much I think or as long as you do like you will you will dwell on it and kick yourself like you said I didn't know this you know information that I should have known and so I made a bad decision if that makes sense so how would you mm -hmm. coach somebody if mm. they came to you and said look I made this decision based on this information that I knew and I did all this research I made the wrong decision I learned about this other information I should have known dang it I should have known yeah and I, now I'm mad at myself and I'm feeling shame and I'm such a, I'm such a scruffy-headed nerf herder. Right. So after we talked about the shame and how shame is okay and we're still safe even though we're feeling shame, I think I would next go to what are you thinking about the past version of yourself? What are you thinking about your past self who made that decision, who made the quote-unquote wrong decision? We could unpack what it means to have a wrong decision. We could... Just talk about self-love. Like, how can you love that person who made a wrong choice? You know she made a wrong choice. Let's say they did it on purpose. Like, sometimes I go, like, to an extreme and say, let's say that your past self 
purposely made the wrong choice. I mean, again, wrong choice is pretty subjective, but like, let's say that person purposely made the wrong choice. Can you still find a way to have love or compassion for that version of yourself? So that's probably where I would go next with that. But for me, I find that difficult to do. It's easy to say, well, just love the best version of yourself. Just love it, it all and just be happy with yourself. But sometimes the decisions you make have big consequences. They do. It's not just like, oh man, I wish I'd picked blueberry yogurt instead of strawberry. But tomorrow you won't even remember you ate yogurt at all. And so it's such a tiny choice, like picking the wrong thing off a menu at a restaurant. Picking a thing you didn't like as much as what you your spouse picked. <laughs> like those are small choices, but sometimes decisions that are made have long-term consequences that sometimes you can't go back and repair that. And I have a really hard time sometimes dealing with that and like forgiving myself for not knowing better, for not doing a better job, making a better decision at the time, even though it might be true that I made the best decisions that I could with what I knew at the time. But I do think that it is that sort of beating yourself up that reduces your level of confidence. Because if I'm going to make a decision and it turns out to be the quote unquote wrong one, how am I going to treat myself for making that decision? Because when you make the decision and it turns out awesome, you're like, sweet, that was great. I'm so glad it turned out this way. And then you sort of move on with the rest of your life, pretty much. But when it turns out to be less good, sometimes you end up beating yourself up for a long time. And I think what I've noticed in myself is my hesitation to make decisions is probably because I know that if it doesn't turn out great, I'm going to beat myself up for it for a long time. And so I'm like, if someone else could just make this decision for me, then I don't have to take responsibility for that. I don't have to yeah. beat myself up if it doesn't turn out great because yeah, yeah. I can pass the responsibility off to somebody right. else. And then when they script, then you can be like, you made a crappy decision. You suck. Yeah, or like, well, it's what you told me to do. So, mm-hmm. And actually, I think that's what I did in our marriage for a really long time. I didn't understand this was what I was doing. I didn't have the awareness to know that that's what I was doing. But I, being the person that I was, picked a very confident person to marry. Heck yeah. Because I felt I wasn't really... And like I said, this wasn't necessarily a conscious decision to go out and find somebody who's confident and marry him so he can make all the decisions for the whole life. But I think that's sort of what the subconscious was doing. Like, oh, that guy, he's confident. And I was attracted to that. And often we are attracted to people who have strengths in areas where we have weaknesses that I've, I've seen that a lot in different couples and different. That's what, that's what it was for me. I'm like, she is so beautiful and I am not. And she is so smart. And I'm not. <laughs> that's, that's what drew me to you. I'm that's like, not exactly. I can, I can get a smart person to be with me. Okay. That was weird. Yeah. But uh-huh. actually you may, okay, don't take this the wrong way, but you may have picked somebody less confident because you need to get your way. Not, and again, this is like subconscious decision-making level of like... Oh, she's figured me out. Oh, no. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. sometimes we are drawn toward people, like I said, who have weaknesses where we have strengths or where they have strengths and we have weaknesses. And it's nice not being challenged on the decisions that you want to make. And so we liked each other and whatever. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes people do consciously or subconsciously 
choose to partner with people who they know will go along with what they want or who will take the fall or take responsibility or sort of fill in where they're lacking. And it's not always bad. It's not always a bad thing. And this isn't like a criticism of either of us. Maybe I'm... Maybe it is. <laughs> but see, um, what I'm saying is it was a way for me to remain underdeveloped in this area. Knowing that like you were confident and you knew what you wanted and you knew the decisions to make. And I could sort of hide behind that, like I was saying earlier, like right in your tailwind. Wake. Yeah. For a long time. I did that for a long time. And it didn't exactly make me happy, but it kept me comfortable. And if a person is confident and doesn't like being challenged on their decisions, they'll pick somebody who doesn't challenge their decisions. So that also keeps them not necessarily happy, but in their comfort zone. And I feel like now, not only now, but in the past several years, recognizing that this the inequality that that has created and wanting to change that. I think we've both shifted out of this dynamic and are finding a new way to relate with each other in a way that we are becoming more equal in this where I'm standing up more and you're listening to what I have to say. And I wouldn't call it backing down, but like listening and saying, okay, maybe there is more than one way to do this than the way that I was thinking. And then we negotiate as partners rather than me saying, what do you think? Because I did that a lot. Well, what do you think? And then I would just go with whatever you said because it kept me safe. It kept me comfortable. And now I'm like, that did not serve me well to be that way for all of that time. And now I am having to find a new way of being almost. I wouldn't say changing my whole self, but growing out of that and into a more powerful, a stronger, more empowered way of being, a more equal partnership. That's how you create an equal partnership is by standing up and saying, I realize I haven't been taking responsibility for this part of my life. And even though it's hard, even though it's scary, I'm going to do it. I'm going to start speaking up more. I'm going to start making decisions for myself rather than looking to you to see if you approve. Because that's a really immature way of being. And it's kind of hard to admit, even to myself, but for all the world to hear that that's how I was for so long. And I can talk about all the reasons why I was that way. I feel like being this way was very much reinforced by my upbringing. There was a lot of do as you're told, choose the right, be good, don't ever color outside the lines kind of upbringing. And... You know, I feel like it's not just my family of origin, but also the larger culture. And even at school, you're not allowed to break the rules. And and I was very compliant. My parents might disagree with that. But I feel like I took all of those rules to heart and followed them the best that I could. Some people, when put pressure upon, will become compliant And then others will sort of go toward more rebellion. You'll have rebellious children, and then you'll have compliant children. And compliant children are always praised. And the rebellious kids are often labeled the problem child. And nobody wants to be a problem child. And so the rewards, that's what I'm trying to say. The compliant children are the ones that get rewarded for their compliance. And I was 
happy to receive that reward for getting straight A's and doing it all right. But then when it comes to the point where doing it somebody else's way doesn't feel right, then you're faced with this decision. Do I do what I think is right or do I do, do I follow the rules? That can be really tough for people like me who were the rule followers for their whole life. And it was never okay to go outside of that for any reason. This has been an interesting conversation. We didn't script this or... No, we just sat down and turned on the mic. So whatever comes coming out is just coming out. There's a lot to chew on there, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for our listeners out there, if you have some input on this, we'd actually appreciate it. And maybe we'll do a follow-up episode Mm -hmm. sometime. But these are just some of our thoughts, some of the conversation that we had earlier today. Um, So if you have any good information... Shoot it our way. Yeah. I'm always interested in hearing the way that other people think about things and especially getting other perspectives. The topic here, building confidence. How do you do that? That's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Any input anybody has would be great. Yeah. I think that's all we have. I'm surprised we went this long. Yeah. I kind of thought this would be a five minute episode. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> people would be like, this is dumb and shut it off after a minute. Well, they still might. But they who might. Knows. Yeah. Right. Like and subscribe. (laughs) (laughs) We did not ask him to do that, by the way. (laughs) What if we did a whole episode and we just whispered through the whole thing? Ooh. And then do another episode where you were yelling the whole time. I love that idea. That might be kind of fun. How about you yell and I'll whisper the entire episode? Why don't I whisper and you yell? That would be even weirder. That would be very... Because I'm normally the yelling person and you're usually not. Um, Ask our kids. They might disagree... I think they would call us both yellers. Yeah. Although old yellers, if any of you get that um, that old yellers thing, let us know because I bet yeah, a lot t- won't. No, I bet they will. We have like people our age listening to this. Yeah. They don't will give them know, any more information. They will know what that is. Yeah. So anyway, we have a fifteen-year-old who's like, "You guys went to school in the nineteen hundreds." As a way of defending his argument that we are old, it is hilarious. I'm like, yes, I did. I went to school in the 1900s. Yes, the (laughs) 1980s and the 1990s. Yeah, the very end of the 1900s, but still, it's so funny. (laughs) Yeah, the same century as World War I, II, and the Great Depression. You know what? We should talk sometime about teenagers. Oh, boy. I strangle them? No, I love my teenagers. I really do. I'm really enjoying our teenagers right now. We can do an episode on them, dirty teenagers. Yes. Let me write that down. What else? I think we should probably stop the recording. I don't think you should edit out any of this. Our listeners, they want to know who we are. Do they, though? (laughs) I don't know. They're probably horrified. They're probably not even listening anymore. They're probably like, Yeah, shut off. This is stupid. So. If they quit listening, they're not going to hear about the million dollars we're giving away. Oh, okay. Tell me more about that. Yeah, we got a million shroot bucks. And that's what we're going to be giving away next month. Okay. Some lucky winner. Awesome. Let's do it. And uh, I got to figure that out. Yeah, we actually have compressed it into one million Although, dollar shroot. I don't buck. know if we can call it shroot bucks because that might be copyrighted. Copyrighted, so we might have to call it like something else. Like we're gonna call it a bite buck. What if we call it like shroof bucks, <laughs> something like that? <laughs> or we could just call it a bite buck. We could have a picture of me on it. You know, something stupid. Ooh, bite bucks. A picture of me with my shirt off. I'm gonna get all kinds of ladies sending me fan mail. 
From prison? <laughs> It'll probably be some dudes from prison. <laughs> sending me a dirt <laughs> sending me a dirty sock. <laughs> yes, probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really want that, so oh. I don't either. All right. So Well, this was great. Thanks for listening, the five of you. Yep. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Blurg. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Bites podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any of the fun. Let us know what you took away from this episode by sending us an email at info at You can also see what we're up to on Facebook and Instagram at Andalyn Price Coaching. Or you can visit my website, andalynprice.com, to learn more. See you next week. Bye! Luke is making noises. I'm going to go check on him. And now we pause for station identification. So Andalyn just had to step out because our son Luke, who we have, he's being babysat by Cocomelon. Uh, we can hear a bunch of things falling down and um, you know, like he's messing with stuff in the bedroom next door. And Andalyn just walked in there and said something about, oh, which means he was probably getting into stuff and making a mess. Oh, he emptied out my entire drawer under the bed. There's stuff all over. Well, that's what you get for having cool things in your drawer. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, it's fine. I'll pick it all up after this. What was the second thing? Crud. Um, oh, what was I going to say? Why am I having a total brain fart right now? Your brain is overwhelmed. It's powering down. Boom. <laughs> totally.